This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the last episode of the year of season four of Thrifters Villa. I am joined here today with three lovely ladies. We have Tiffany, we have Lauren, and we have Nicole. We have a Canadian reseller with us, which is great. I feel like we've only had one Canadian reseller on this in, for, since the Frisville has been a thing. So I need to get more Canadians on here. Um, but we are going to chat today and just talk about what we love most, which is reselling. And I want everyone to get to know these ladies. I want to get to know them. So we are going to go around our make-believe Zoom table that we have here. <laughs> and we're just going to share who we are, how we get into reselling, and then we will take the conversation from there. So I'm going to start the way I see it on my screen. So I'm going to start with Tiffany. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm Tiffany Swindoll, and I've been, um, I guess, selling on Poshmark since 2020. Like a lot of people, I started um, in the pandemic as just a hobby for my girl. I have two teenage girls as something to kind of clean out our closet. And um, the very first sale I made was a $350 Patagonia vintage jacket, and I was hooked after that. So I'd um, be hooked too. <laughs> yeah. So, so I figured that would be something, you know, that was fun for my girls and I as we started to kind of clean out our closets. Um, I ended up taking one of the online classes from, I think, the British posh, posher, Jen Warren, yep. um, which was amazing. And that just really kind of got me started on just how to do this. I had no idea. Um, I am just a part-time seller, but it's super fun. Um, as a full-time person, I've been in fashion, um, apparel, and footwear all of my career. I was a um, an executive at Nike as the VP of HR for one of their subsidiary brands, Hurley, here in California. Um, and now I own my own fashion recruiting firm. So um, it's been fun. So I get to stay in it. I have learned about so many brands outside of what I normally do. Um, so it's been great. So what what does it what does it entail to be a fashion recruiter? What does that mean? Um, I basically work with a lot of brands, um, anywhere from you know small to to large organizations, really to understand their organizational structure mm-hmm. and figure out do they have the right people in the right places. So I do a lot of work with them from an internal perspective, nice. um, and then my team comes in and helps to fill those gaps um, from a talent perspective. So I work with companies across the globe. Um, obviously, because of my background um, in human resources, I've got a lot of connections um, with HR people within the industry. So it's a lot of fun. I was going to say, that sounds really fun. Yeah. (laughs) So um, in terms of selling, do you feel like you're on a trajectory to keep going and like nothing has kind of discouraged you from 2020 to now? Because I could tell you I'm a little discouraged. I'm not going to lie. 
<laughs> I, I think I'm lucky. I'm in Southern California. You guys mm. always hear that Southern California has the best thrift stores. And um, I really do have really great thrift stores. So I have, I, you know, for a part-time reseller, I'm doing very well. And it has been a great just, you know, added bonus. I've got a child in college. So it's just, it's just fun to have that extra income. Um, so I haven't been that discouraged yet. So <laughs> I hope you never get discouraged. Yeah. I hope it never happens to you. <laughs> That's wonderful. Lauren, we'll move on to you. Hi. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. Um, I'm Lauren. I started reselling back in college, which was 2008 to 2012. I lived in Chicago and I was studying fashion and I loved thrifting, obviously, like we all do. And I had access to obviously really good thrift stores in Chicago with some amazing brands. And so I would find things that were like a size double zero that weren't my size. I'm like, I can't leave this behind. So it's this beautiful Burberry jacket. So I started selling them on eBay. Um, didn't really know what I was doing. I wish that I could go back and tell my younger self to make out a business at the time, but I didn't. Um, I think we all kind of have that regret sometimes. Um, then flash forward to 2013, I had my first baby, like right out of college. Um, I had gone to school for fashion, thought I was going to have this job as a visual merchandiser or a buyer or, you know, some high executive fashion job that didn't happen with an infant. Um, so I kind of re did reselling a little bit here and there, dabbled in some other jobs. But then in 2019, 2020, when the world ended, I decided this is the best thing to do, especially I'm a homeschooling mom too. So I'm kind of in a unique position where I can work whenever I want to. And we can school at nine o'clock at night if I want to work at 9am. And I can do a podcast like this in the middle of the day while my kids are watching TV. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my story. I've dabbled all around reselling. Um, I did whatnot like kind of full force last year. And it took over obviously as a homeschooling mom way too much of my life. And I, momming comes first and that was just too much. So this year I have kind of taken a step back and I started my own website and I've been doing some vintage markets too, kind of trying to get away from Poshmark and eBay because as you said, we're all a little discouraged with them at the moment. This is interesting. Ooh, what a diverse group. <laughs> I love it because I think it's so fascinating to see how people's journeys kind of change because I, like you was reselling things without realizing that I was even reselling at one point in time mm -hmm. in high school. I didn't realize that was reselling. Um, but I think it's fascinating to see sellers start to go this like open market type of way of selling. Cause I've heard more and more sellers going that route where they're actually going to locations and selling their goods instead of being on the platform. So that's definitely a topic that I, I want to hit when, when we get there. Um, Nicole will have you share who you are. Yeah, so I'm Nicole. I'm the Canadian reseller. Um, I haven't been reselling for, I guess, officially reselling for that long. I started in 2022. But really, if I reflect back, I've been reselling like for a long time. And I don't know if you guys remember that book, maybe in like 2016. Um, I, I think it's like The Joy of Tidying Up by Mary Kondo, I think it was called. And I was getting rid of everything, like mm -hmm. everything. But then I was like, what do I do with it? So I started selling it. And that was back in 2016. And then I was on mat leave in 2022. 
And I started going through all my clothes. I was like, okay, I've had all this clothes since my last mat leave. I'm just going to move on and get rid of it. So I took it to like a Play-Doh's closet. Um, we have those in Canada. I'm pretty sure they're in the U.S. too. I took it to a Play-Doh's closet and I'm looking around and I'm like, there's these like brand new pair of Lululemon Align leggings. Not my size. Of course, I picked them up. I started like a face group, um, Facebook group locally for just Lululemon stuff. So that's how I started. And then um, my sister-in-law, she lives in North Carolina. We travel to North Carolina pretty often. She's like, well, have you heard of Poshmark? Because like, yes, I've heard of it way too many notifications so I deleted it but I went back on it and I put those Lululemon leggings on and they sold in a day and I was hooked I've been hooked since so yeah Um, I do this kind of on the side okay part-time um as like a hobby but I do work full-time job I'm a cost analyst went to school for accounting um and I do some project management work as well Nice. I love the group that we have here. Um, so we know we have one person who did live selling. Did anyone else attempt live selling? Yes. I okay. What was yeah. your experience like? <laughs> well, I was like part of like the first group on Poshmark, like in October of maybe that was just Canada, October of 20, when was that? 2022, I think. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Last year. And it was okay at first. I had fun. It was a way for me to actually meet people, like my buyers. But a lot of it was like other resellers that I that I met. You just start to get to know the different sellers. From a sales profit perspective, it was good at first. January of 2023 was probably my best month. And I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this, and I want to be consistent. And I did a show every week for like two months and I was burnt out burnt out it's a high volume model in my perspective and I just don't have access to very low cost of goods um so I it just wasn't working for me and then I knew I was going to be going back to work full-time after my mat leave I'm like this is not gonna work so I'm gonna end it and change my business model Mm. but it was it was okay but just too much for me yeah Too, too much work yeah. yeah. Lauren, what about you? What made you stop? Um, I honestly, I was so hooked on to it that I was doing a show almost every single day with two wow. young children. But I was making upwards of $400 a day. I was making more money than I've ever made in my life. But it came to a point that I was having to go sourcing every single day. I mean, you run sometimes 50 items in a show and if you sell out what and people are you know you have your show scheduled ahead of time and people are expecting you to come back on the next morning at 9 a.m so you're like doing the show doing the shipping going to goodwill loading the show steaming lint roll I mean like it like I said my kids were saying mommy are we gonna do school mommy can we go to the park and no mommy's got to work and it's there's no money in the world that's worth spending that much time burning yourself out yeah yeah I um well I'm curious Tiffany what's your perspective on live selling would you ever go into it it's it's really not for me and I I I mean at the beginning I looked at it and said hey this could be fun but I've watched it obviously the progression and I do feel like you guys I feel like everybody is really getting burned out of it yeah yeah I agree I I mean there's always like that 
little bit of like, I mean, I guess I could try it. But then when you really think about it, it's like, well, one, I don't think I could ever get my cost of goods to make sense in order for me to live sell. Like that would be really difficult Two, I don't really want to spend the time live selling. And I think this is like the space of reselling right now. It's like we have to figure out where, where do we want to fit? Where do we want to go with it? And for some people, live selling works. And I think that's great. If you have figured out how to do it and you can make a killing on it, like keep doing it, like do, do not stop. But, mm-hmm. um, I just don't see a world right now that I'm in that I could ever make it work for me. Um, working full time and, you know, baby on the way and everything. Like I just, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> I like talking to people not on a live platform like that because I'd have to be on the whole time and I already work full time and have to be on the whole time and talking to people so I think I think that's where like I back off from it but I am curious to see how it continues to evolve over the years because I do think it's already evolved a lot over the last couple of years um I, I don't really go on whatnot so I don't know what it's like on there right now. Um, but I feel like on Poshmark, I could, I could see it working. It's, I, I just don't think it's perfected yet on that, on that platform and eBay. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they ever officially launched their live selling like they were supposed to. Am I correct in that? I don't know if they did. I remember seeing like this little live icon on my eBay, but I've never actually seen anything live. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, know. I don't think they ever officially like launched the program. I think they tested it and then that was really it, which was probably smart on their part because it's a yeah. lot, <laughs> even on the platform. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we get into like all the nitty gritty things of reselling, I'm curious for my own personal knowledge because selfishly I want to know, um, when did you guys start listening to the podcast? When did Thrifters Villa come into your life? Whoever wants to go, go ahead. I can go. Um for me, it was June. It was in the summer, this okay. past summer. And I listened to another Canadian reseller. So Tabs McCaffrey, tabs. she has oh, Tabs. Yes. Yeah, I, I love her. She's awesome. Urban Goddess Shop. So I I was watching. Did she have a? I, I can't remember. Was I was doing video. work. Yeah. to video and I think she mentioned us. Yes. So I was like, yeah, I love listening to podcasts. Like when I'm driving to work, I'm always listening to a podcast. And when I'm doing my reselling now, like photography or anything, I'm listening to a podcast. So she named all these podcasts and I was like, oh, Thrifters Villa, I'm going to go check that one out. And it, it, it stuck. It was like first step, the first episode I listened to, which was, it was like a, like a trend report Mm. type of, I forget. I, I can't remember if it was like fall trends or summer trends I can't remember but it was awesome I was like there's so much information it is like (laughs) jam-packed and from that perspective with reselling like I that's where I was lacking the knowledge was like the the trends to follow because me I'm not very not very fashionable (laughs) I wear like my I'm wearing my leggings right now and a big sweater but my day-to-day it's loungewear all the time so but yeah thank you tabs She's awesome. <laughs> she is great. We love Tabs. Tabs is supposed to come on this season, but I think we're going to get her next season. She's going to come on. So we'll have another Canadian on. Awesome. <laughs> Go ahead, whoever wants For me, to. I think I was maybe a little early adopter. I was, yeah, I listened when you were with Lori. Um, mm-hmm. And when I first started to get into this, I was just trying to find anything I could to learn. I just didn't know anything. Um, so it was super fun to have podcasts like you to, to kind of learn more about it as well. Lori, we love Lori. Yeah. 
Shout out Lori. I know she listens. <laughs> I also started listening when you had Lori on probably, I don't know, 2020, 2019, yeah, like, like the beginning. Two, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also was just trying to absorb as much information as I can. And I think I just did like a search on Apple Podcasts for thrifting or reselling. And you might have been the first one that came up. Oh, my SEO must be good then. <laughs> I guess yeah. I'm doing something right. Oh, yay. Good. So it's interesting, you, you know, when you mentioned Nicole about the trends, because that's generally how people find this that don't even resell is mm -hmm. they're looking for information on trends and we pop up because we do them every quarter um or we do like the history deep dives and we have people that listen now that have nothing to do with reselling whatsoever they just want to understand and know like what's going on in the fashion world which is such an interesting di direction because we never did i think that's the direction that the podcast would go in um but it's it's nice that people enjoy and see the value in those episodes because they take a lot of work <laughs> Oh, I bet. I bet. They are jam-packed. Yeah. And, and then even the, the... Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go. I, I was going to say, even like the um, the brand deep dives, I think there was a whole episode on like Aritzia. Yeah. And that one, I love that episode because I've always loved Aritzia from like my college days and they're a Canadian company as well. So that yeah, was... Deep dives that, are I fun. love that one. Yeah. All those deep dives are fun. The thing is, it's like, finding balance, I guess, between doing deep dives, doing content that like goes to people that are more beginners, doing content that goes to people more advanced. There's a lot of like balancing that comes with that, especially mm -hmm. when, you, when you've been around for, we're going on season five. It's not easy <laughs> to balance, mm -hmm. find new content to put out there and like trying to find a creative way to do it. Um, but I would say personally for me, those are my favorite episodes too. I love doing the ones where I get to meet people are, are always my favorite, but when I get to like sit down and research something and like really learn about it, because I'm learning about it before I'm talking to you guys about it. I don't, I don't know the history of Calvin Klein before I'm coming <laughs> on and talking to you about it. I don't know the history of anthropology and all the brands like that episode that Jen took on with anthropology God bless her soul because <laughs> she, I mean, she spent weeks on that and really getting into it. And I did like bare minimum because, oh my God, I was overwhelmed by it all. It was so much. <laughs> Even the Levi's episode that she did, she's always been an expert in Levi's and she really, you know, took that on. So thank you, Jen. <laughs> Everyone appreciates <laughs> all of that. The, um, the Patreon group gets the, um, the magazine, which for me is like a creative outlet. I love creating the the fashion magazine for everyone every quarter. Um, but again, like it's, we, we time it. So we have time to get it all out there, but I'm glad people appreciate it because it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely a lot. Um, okay. So reselling, when you guys first started, you envisioned reselling to be whatever you envisioned it to be, right? This like, Oh my God, such a thrill. So fun. Can find all these things, make lots of money. As you have evolved in your reselling journey, um, how how has that changed for you? And would you say that over the last year, you've had to make some adjustments to how things in the world are and maybe our expectations? Because the way that we sold in 2020 is very different than the way that we sell today in 2023. So I'm curious to hear your perspectives. And we talked about this on podcast many times. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. 
Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Doesn't matter who wants to go first. Um, So I think back when I started, it was like the thrill of the hunt, finding the quote unquote good brands and throwing them in the cart and, you know, rushing home to list them and being so excited that I found free people or Aritzia or, you know, all of these other, like I said, quote unquote good brands. Um, I think this year it's really made me think like, is this something that if it doesn't sell, is it something that I would keep for myself? Um, is this something that I would buy or like covet new? Would I pay full price for this? Um, I'm really going like hard into the quiet luxury because I think that's what's going to be here to stay. So like, I'm not picking up polyester at all, unless it's like in a legging. Um, I'm not picking up I don't like anything cheap. I mean, more like cashmere, silks, leathers, linens, um, even if they're like a no name, because I think that's what like the future of reselling is going towards, especially with like the focus on sustainability. I think that people are looking for those more sustainable quality brands and just pieces in general. It doesn't even have to be a designer brand. Those are all good points. Yeah, I think similar to that, you know, I started out like I was just cleaning my closet out. So it was a little bit of anything and everything. But obviously, I've evolved, Daniel, similar to you, I think I've just elevated the brands that I'm looking for. The cost of goods are definitely higher, but the return is much better. Um, So I just don't have a lot of stuff. I try to really curate what I do have in my closet. Yeah, I think it's a it's a big shift when you go from selling in your closet to I got to figure out what I actually want to do if I want this to be like a money making business. It's a big learning curve, but it's also a learning curve like what you did, Lauren, going from the brands that we all kind of know and that they're cheaper and we can even sell them for 15, 20 bucks and it's fine because I paid two dollars to now shifting the mindset. Like no matter what, the mindset shift is hard and we all have to do it at some point, whether we want to or not. And I think it's just finding like where it fits with what's happening in the, not only in the fashion space, but in the the selling space, the customer base. I mean, it's all evolving and it's all changing. Go ahead, Lauren. I'm sorry, Lauren, you already went. Nicole. (laughs) It's okay. Um, Because I didn't sell in 2020. I didn't see that huge Mm. spike like everyone did. I kind of really started in 2022. But yeah, I did start with like my own personal closet and going to the thrift store like all the time which was I enjoyed that because I was on maternity leave I needed to get out and then the live selling I needed to see people and interact with people but for me I dove in deep and I was like I love doing this I enjoy it so much I'm treating it like a business so now I mostly source online 
And I'm very, very, very picky, for lack of a better word, with what I source. But I have discovered so many brands in the past like six months by sourcing online um, and just doing, looking at my own data or doing comp checks on eBay. If it's a brand that I don't know, then I do a little bit of research on it. And yeah, I've learned a lot of brands over the past like six months. So it's evolved with, yeah, finding those like low cost of goods that I could sell in a live show to higher profitable items. And I'm focusing more on like that, like you said, Lauren, the quiet luxury. I love the quiet luxury. I love Aritzia. It's got a special place in my heart, (laughs) but, and just some other brands that are kind of similar to that. So, and that's what I'm focusing on with, yeah, working a full-time job, having two kids. I don't have that time on lower profit items, I guess. So that's how I've kind of changed and evolved my business model. And understanding how much your time is worth, right? Like I think that's an overarching thing that we all have to learn. Like my time is precious and I should be able Mm -hmm. to pay myself that time that I'm putting into it. And I'm not saying that a low low cost of goods model is wrong because it does work for many people and and it can be very successful. But I think when you have other factors in life, like working full time, having children, extracurricular activities, maybe for yourself, it doesn't have to be for kids. It could be for you. You may have a hobby that you go, you know, there's some some type of seminar you go to once or twice a week. There's all different things. You have to find where it all fits. And and unfortunately, I think that it's gotten to the point this year where even people who thought that they knew don't know. Because mm-hmm. I and I fell into that category very much this year, where I was like, I've got this figured out, man. Twenty twenty two, I was great. <laughs> twenty one, fantastic. Like from two thousand eighteen to twenty twenty two, I was good. I saw a little bit of a dip in twenty two, but I was like, it's okay, it's all right. You know, all that in, influx of money is going away, but it'll be fine. But man, nothing prepared me for what this year threw at my business, and like how much of a step back I had to take, and um even just sourcing, I cannot find half the things I used to find in my area like I used to. It can still happen, but it's few and far in between. The amount of Mm -hmm. sellers that exist now, like there's so many changes and it's not a bad thing. It just means you have to literally pivot and change everything that you've known to do for the last few years. You know, even driving for me, driving to Boston doesn't always make sense because, look, that's an all day thing. It's going to take me at least an hour and a half to two hours because of traffic. It's 45, 50 miles away, but that's how long it's going to take me because of traffic. Then I got to park. Then I got to drive around to all the different stores. Like it's, it's an eight to five and I have to be prepared to not do anything on a Saturday to go and do that. Is it always worth it? No, it's not. So I have gone the online sourcing route for quite some time this year, but I've also learned to not source this year. And I'm curious what you guys, if you guys have kind of done this as well with the changes and the, the money coming in and everything. So for me, I was like, okay, I can keep sourcing things. Things aren't moving the way that they were. So how about I just don't source and I clear what I have and I make it work. And I find ways to sell it, whether it's discounts, whether it's reevaluating the price point, whether it's changing the SEO, the pictures, whatever it is, right? Like taking the time to focus on the pieces that I already have, 
making my inventory more manageable and just stacking the money so that if an opportunity does come around for me to buy something that's excellent, that like can bring me that high profit that I really want, I have the cash flow to do it, but I also have the cash flow sitting because I like that extra money for my personal life and things that are going on in my personal life, which is the whole reason why I started reselling in the first place. Um, I found that I was in that constant sourcing, gotta keep sourcing, gotta keep sourcing. And mm-hmm. I lost sight of the whole reason as to why I was even selling in the first place. So for me, that's what this year has really been. It's been a lot of like transition and slowing down and changing and actually loving not sourcing. And if I do mm-hmm. source, I'm only going with like very specific intentions and um, enjoying the thrift store process where I could say confidently for the first half of the year, I hated the thrift store process, hated, like didn't even want to think about going. Um, so curious what you what your thoughts are on that. I can 100% relate with that because I feel like you just described the past six months for me. Because <laughs> when I was live selling, that's all I was doing. I was like, source, 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 source. I need to have enough inventory for these shows. But then what happens if it doesn't sell? Mm-hmm. And it's like, is this item even worth me listing? Like taking all of the photos? So I ran into this problem where I just had way too much inventory, like way too much. And it just sat there. I, I didn't want to list it. So it ended up just going in bins. And now I'm at a point where it's like, okay, I haven't, I haven't actually gone to a thrift store with the intention of like sourcing like a lot of inventory, I guess, in probably four months. And I have been sourcing online, but it's just like a few things every week because I have like such a backlog now of inventory. And now I'm just kind of clearing it, liquidating it to get my money back and invest in something that I actually, one, want to sell and that's much more profitable. So yeah, I've been focusing on my cash flow as well. So this is a funny example. So I have been liquidating the stuff I don't want, building up my cash flow. I was at Ikea. (laughs) I was at Ikea and my reseller brain is going and they have these Ikea Calyx units. Do you know what those are? I've heard of them. So so they're like the cube storage. They sell like hotcakes in my city because Ikea is like an hour drive away. So I bought two of them and I sold them in like a day. (laughs) I flipped them because I had the cash flow to do this. I was like, see, I I have this cash flow now to Mm -hmm. just jump on these opportunities where I know I can make a profit. Yeah. Not something that I sell all the time, but... Mm -hmm. Now that I had the cash flow, I was able to to do that. Yeah, cash flow. Cash flow is king, that is for sure. Yes. Yes. I, I'm still kind of the opposite. I am still about I love the, it. The I love opposite. It's great. <laughs> the thrill. Yeah. And like I said, I do have great thrift stores here. So I I mean, I can walk into a thrift store. I rarely come out without anything. Um and once I again, I am you. still looking. I'm still looking for high end no. items. Um, I've learned so much from the podcast just on just new brands. I'm always about touching and feeling the product and making sure it's the right fabric. Um, so I still love that. I still like finding something amazing and then selling it at a, you know, a profit. So um, my family laughs at me because I, I take it, you know, my breaks are at the thrift store or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, guilty. I've done that too. But I love that you still, and I think this is all dependent on our experiences where we live, right? So like where you are, you are, you 
don't see a decrease in the brands. You're not seeing a decrease in the quality. You're still able to acquire the things that you want to acquire to sell at the price point that you want. That makes all the difference. That right there makes all the difference because you can easily drive to the thrift store and then drive back home and get what you need. I can't tell you how many times I walk out empty handed. Like more times that I could that I could even tell you in the, this year alone that I've walked out empty handed or one thing, maybe two. Like that's become the norm. Um, and maybe it's because of the amount of sellers that are here now. I don't I don't know what the reason is. It could be because the thrift stores have gotten smart. And now they're selling things on their own. Like there's a lot of factors in, in incorporated in that. And where you are, um, Tiffany, are they like small mom and pop type thrift stores or are they big thrift stores? They're small mom and pop. I actually mm. don't love the Goodwills. I mean, they're great, but they're a little higher priced. And so I've just found some amazing, you know, small mom and pops places that just, I, I live in a pretty affluent area. So people just donate. That right there yeah. is like, that's gold because yeah. I don't really have that around me. I have Savers. I've got Salvation Army. I've got another thrift store that's like a big chain. Um, and if I go into Mass, there's Goodwills. There's some smaller ones, but they know what they have, which changes the way you look at the things that you thrift, right? Because then you've got to put in that cost of travel, cost of time that you've spent there, the cost of the item, right? So it kind of changes things. Um, but I wish we had more small mom and pop thrifts that people donated to because that to me, like that is a dream because I feel like people like you are able to still get things. People that are stuck with the big box chain stores are having a real hard time. Mm-hmm. So I need to come thrifting and sell. Yes. Okay. That's what needs to happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, go ahead. Anything you want to add? Um, so first I'd like to invite everyone to come to Michigan, which is where I'm oh. at, because um the thrifting here is also amazing. Oh, I've heard. Humble brag there. <laughs> um I live in southeast Michigan, so I thrift anywhere from Detroit to Toledo, so in Michigan and Ohio. And our prices have not gone up at all in most of our stores. I know I hate even saying it out loud because I Must be nice. don't want everyone to <laughs> hate me for it. But um, our most of our thrift stores, it's like, you know, like solid pricing, like all jeans are $5, all tops are $3 and nothing is marked up. Um, and then we have where I live, there's like a really big gap in incomes. So you have like either like very, very affluent people or you have very, very low income families. So the people that are donating are the people that have these higher end items. And then the people that are shopping and who the stores are pricing for are the more lower income. And we don't have a lot of resellers. So I definitely have the benefit there with that. Yeah. Anyone wants to come, everything's cheaper here. The real estate's cheaper. Our taxes are cheaper. <laughs> um, everyone come to Michigan, especially after we're living in Chicago. It's like, it's a dream because oh, everything imagine. is so so inexpensive here. Um, So I don't have an issue with inventory. Um, The one thing I have picked up from live selling that I've carried over in my business is, you know, I know everyone's just looking for a deal. And so if I can still get my items, my average cost of goods is under $5. And I'm picking up Rothy's and Everlane and Burberry and, you know, all the brands everyone wants. Um, And I'm under $5. If I can give people a deal, I'm still going to do that. So my advantage is that I can offer my higher end stuff at a lower price and move out more just like I was with live selling, just without the pressure of, you know, being on camera every day. Right. (laughs) I need to like 
just send you people money and you source for me. That, that's just what needs to happen. I think that's what we need to do, Nicole, because we got to find these people that live in these places where they can find things for cheap and then yes. we just send them money and you guys send it our be way. Fantastic. That'd be great. That'd be a new business that we start. Yes, yes. exactly. Yes. And I said this to one of my other friends who was in California because she goes to these, these, I don't know, it's a swap meet, I guess, and everything's a dollar. And I'm like, how do you even find these brands for a dollar? I don't understand. But it's like, it's California. That's just how it is. You know, we don't do that here. That, that doesn't exist here where I am. No. So I was like, I'm just going to send you, you know, 300 bucks. Pack whatever you want. Ship it. There you go. Like, you keep the rest. I don't care. Give me, <laughs> just give me the goods because I can't get them here for that price point. Um, okay. I want to talk about Canada because I'm fascinated by the <laughs> Canadian market and how you guys are able to sell in the U.S. Um, so why don't you, I guess, Nicole, explain to the listeners what it's even like to sell in Canada, how it, it, you're selling just Poshmark, right? Are you doing eBay as well? I do eBay as well. Um, Vinted, which unfortunately they're closing in Canada oh. um, as of February 12th. I like just started on there too. I just cross-listed everything over there. But yeah, I sell um, Poshmark Canada, eBay, um, Vinted, and then locally like in markets in the summertime and whatnot. Um not the app, whatnot. I yeah. don't, I Just don't sell on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't sell on there. So the Canadian market. So Poshmark is fairly new for me, but I know my sales. If I look at eBay, I'd say 20% of my sales are to the Canadian market and 80% are to the U S on Poshmark. My U S closet is now out performing my Canadian closet. So I know the Canadian market, there are some different brands that are more popular in Canada than versus in the US. Like I'll compare maybe like Lululemon and Athleta. Like Athleta is not really popular in Canada, at least right now, as maybe it is in the US. Lululemon has always been popular in Canada and it's pretty popular in the US too, but I know I'm pretty certain in the US there's more. Right. It is a Canadian yeah. brand. Yeah. yeah. And Aritzia is very popular. And I think they're just now emerging more in the U.S. Um, the Canadian market is, it, it's good, but it can be quiet compared to if you're, if me, like I'm now exposed to the U.S. market. Um, shipping has always been expensive in Canada. Like Canada is like huge country, like, like, very how would you say very long (laughs) very long but just not as populated right so your packages have much further distance to travel so yeah our primary um carrier is canada post and yeah they're they're kind of expensive like poshmark canada our prices are 13.49 we're in the u.s it's like 7.97 i think um and even with the exchange rate in canada that's still more so, yeah, from a shipping perspective, is it is more. Um, now, when it comes to, like, Poshmark US, I've had to open up where I wanted to open up um, where I sell to. So that's where Poshmark US kind of came in. Um, and there's, and if we want to talk about that now, there's a lot, there's a few different steps that you have to take in order to be in order to sell in the U.S. 
Um, and this isn't, unfortunately, it's not accessible to everyone in Canada because the biggest thing that you need is a cross-border shipper. So that's like a third-party um, company such as there's Stallion Express, there's Chit Chats. Those are the only ones I know. I personally use Stallion Express. So what they'll do is I take my packages to their drop-off location. They pick them up and they take them across the border for me. And I pay like a small fee. I pay like 70 cents Canadian per package. Like it's very cheap. Yeah. And then I just use the USPS shipping label. I just print that off. It's very, very simple. So you need a cross-border shipper. You need a US bank account. So companies like Wise, I think they used to be called TransferWise. You can use them. They'll give you like a US routing number. Um, and that's basically it. <laughs> you basically need those two things, but they're very important things. The cross-border shipper is the most important. And unfortunately, it's not available to everyone. When I first started, I didn't have a drop-off location for my cross-border shipper. So they had a partnership with UPS. I would take all of my shipments, put them in one big box. UPS would pick it up for me. I'd pay anywhere from 10 to $14. They'd pick it up from my house and then they would drop it off to Stallion and Stallion would do their business and bring it across the border. But I was fortunate enough where they opened up a location in my city. So it made it very beneficial for me to pursue a Poshmark closet. Um, the biggest benefit for Canadians is actually the exchange rate benefit. So right now, the Canadian dollar is very weak compared to the U.S. dollar. So for every one U.S. dollar that I make, I'm actually getting a dollar 35 cents Canadian. And then if you think of brands like Lululemon and Aritzia, if you go on their website, I just know personally. So let's take a pair of Lululemon Align pants. They could sell for $118 Canadian in Canada and also sell for $118 U.S in the US. So I can basically list my items for the same price for that different currencies. And then I benefit from that 35% um, exchange merit. And that's where like technically US sellers can do this same process and sell to the Canadian market, but it's more of a demerit with your exchange. So unless you're selling like really high-end items and you're making good profits it's not really worth it like you have to really understand the exchange yeah. with that yeah to, for it to be beneficial for you so yeah how I love selling Lululemon and Athleta <laughs> it's great <laughs> how are you able to open a U.S. Poshmark closet like do you have to ask them like how does that work I didn't ask. I just kind of did, did it. I just did it. <laughs> so I yeah. didn't ask. Um, there's some steps that you have to take with like verifying your identification, which I did. I, I sent them my ID. I think that's the steps that you have to take. Um, I gave them, I have like a registered, we call it a GST or HST tax number. I gave them that number and it it worked. I did all the steps that they asked and it's nice. fine. Yeah. Well, I so I haven't had any issues from that perspective. Yeah. That's good. And I think it's a great benefit to the Canadian Poshmark sellers because the Poshmark yeah. market 
isn't as strong in Canada mm -hmm. as it is in the U.S. And it allows you guys to use both markets to, to make your money. I do think that eventually the Canadian market will match the U.S. one. It just hasn't been around as long. It's Oh, to totally. Work. Yeah. Like Poshmark opened up in Canada in what, 20, 20, no, I don't know, 2019? It was either Possibly. 19 or 20. It was one of those. Yeah. Yeah. They, they haven't been around very long in Canada, but yeah, it's been a great experience for me. And I've encouraged the ladies that I talk to, we have a little Poshmark group. Um, they're awesome. I've encouraged them. If you can get a cross-border shipper and you like really want to expand, try and get into the U.S. market. And if not, get into eBay and ship internationally. People get really um, overwhelmed with eBay and kind of scared about the whole shipping, setting up their whole shipping policies and everything. It can be a lot. It can be overwhelming. But if you do all that work up front, it's definitely beneficial. And their global shipping program is so good. Yeah. I, I don't know. We don't have that in Canada. So oh, really? Yeah, we don't have that. No. So I've been exploring like with eBay if I because I have a cross-border shipper maybe I do the same thing as I do with Poshmark maybe. US but with eBay and I could benefit from that so but yeah we don't have a, a global program so we have to ship we have we set what's called like business policies and shipping policies and you set those based on different regions and you set your rates or you could use calculated shipping but right. yeah we don't have we don't have a global program or shipping program. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> yeah, it is global shipping, I think is what it's called. Because I've sold things to people in London, in China, yep. all the place. And yes. all the, yeah. they take care of it. I send it to a place in Kentucky and then they, they fly it where it needs to go. I don't do anything right. like that. Right, yeah. It is fascinating yeah. how different, really, the Canadian markets are versus U.S. That While they are similar, there's a lot of little nuances that Canadian market just doesn't do. For whatever yeah. reason. Right. And I, I find too with the Canadian market, at least on Poshmark, like I feel um, like when the live shows started happening and we were able to like meet in person now, like there's such tongue twisters to me, but like the Posh Party Lives, Posh, Posh Party Lives, I don't know, we had one in Toronto that I went to and that was like the first time I meet so many Poshers in real life. Like it was amazing. And I just feel like our community is like really close. Like when I think it was that one episode when you guys were talking about Posh Fest and it was a round table. I'm like, oh, we met the Canadians. I'm like, I know all those ladies. <laughs> I know them all. Like we just, you just know, you get to know people. Um, and I just feel like we're all just really, really close. But our country's like so big. <laughs> I know, but like you said, only like areas are populated and then it's just woods. <laughs> yes. That's it. Yeah. There's nothing Woods, else farm there. fields. Yeah, you got the prairies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. Oh, I love Canada. I have family in Canada. So when I was younger, I used to always, at least once a year, go up to Toronto and spend time up there. So Toronto's... Oh, nice. I love Toronto. Sorry. Yes. My favorite place. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you are, but... <laughs> I'm in Ontario. I'm oh, close okay. to Toronto. So, right. I'm like an hour away. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. The other thing I wanted to touch on, because I think it's a fascinating topic is this idea of not selling on platforms and finding creative ways to sell our items because 
I do think that this is becoming more popular. I I go to a lot of these outdoor markets that are in our area. They happen a lot in the late summer and the fall going into winter time. And I have noticed a surplus of clothing sellers popping up here, vintage sellers, a lot of people who are young, like younger than me. So I'm going to say like early 20s, early to mid 20s, they're starting to do this. Things I would have never thought about in that time frame. Um, and I'm curious if you guys have noticed this shift as well. And if it's a shift that maybe you want to venture in, in trying these open markets or maybe you know, finding a way to, mm, I don't know, there's local shops sometimes that have sellers come in and they set up racks and like the stores open, but people can shop your racks kind of thing too. And you're there to guide them. Like, is that something that you would be interested in? And do you see this shift happening where you are? For me, it's probably not something that I would do, but I am seeing it with my kids. So as I mentioned, I've got teenage girls that are trying everything. So this is a family affair. They're finding things now and they're selling. Uh, my daughter's in college and they do, um, in her sorority, they're always doing little pop-up shops. And so she's just taking all, like, she's like, mom, get me more clothes, get me more clothes. So I send her clothes. Um, my daughter, my youngest daughter does Depop. They're just always trying to find ways to kind of hustle a little bit um, and make some money themselves. But personally, I think just for me, just because from a time perspective, I really only have time for Poshmark. I can't even really think about an eBay or any even anything else. Um, but, the, you know, this is just fun for me. It's really a hobby, a lucrative hobby but it's just a hobby for me i'm curious with your young girls are you noticing anything specific like things that they want to sell things that they're looking to pick up like is there anything that you're noticing because listen they're, they're the smart it's, ones we got to learn from them yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because it's not about brands for them at all it's all about style and you know so they're really looking at you know mom find me these types of things but not necessarily brands for them um, it's all about a look. So they'll send me pictures and, and different Pinterest, you know, boards of what they like and what their, you know, their friends would, would want to buy. What's one thing that they've sent you that you were like, really, this is what you want? Um, I mean, it's so much about like the oversized sweatshirts. I feel like those are just everywhere right now, but I, you know, I like them too, yeah. but those are kind of the things just find me, you know, colorful oversized sweatshirts seems to be their, their big thing right now. And I've also well, I guess noticed... for my old... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, my older daughter, she goes to University of Arizona. They don't wear a whole lot of clothes there. So it's all these little <laughs> tiny skirts and tops and things like that. The The other thing I've noticed besides the oversized sweatshirts is these oversized vintage grandpa style sweaters. Oh my God, they love them. But then they style it with the oversized pants and I don't get it. Like no. portions. <laughs> you gotta, you've got exactly. to mix. You can't have oversized and oversized. <laughs> That's interesting. I love that they're already getting into stuff like that, though, and that they do these like swap meet type things. That's awesome. You're so smart. And maybe it's social media. Maybe it's like what they see, what, what they've been exposed to on TikTok and stuff, too. And it's just helped them be more creative in that space where we've kind of had to figure it out and then watch what other people do. And like, I feel like we've we had to do it a little bit differently where these this new group of people who are reselling that are doing it because it's fun and they like fashion or whatever. It's not necessarily a business thing for them. They've figured out a way to do it. It's very creative. Absolutely. You're going to have to like send me pictures of things that they send you so that I can like <laughs> figure out what it is that these youngins want. <laughs> Definitely. 
I feel old, like I'm 36, but man, I am so not in touch with what what they want. And it's just a whole nother, like Depop, I don't even step foot in Depop because I don't get it. Yeah, I haven't explored Depop too much myself. It's not my thing. But I, no, but I did get into markets this past summer. Okay. Um, um, I feel like this past year, I've been trying so many different things. I like to experiment. I love learn. I love to experiment. I love learning um, and sharing my knowledge. But this summer, I don't know how I came across it. No, there was someone I follow on Instagram who's in the same city as me. And there was a fashion market in my area that's specifically for clothing. So I said, I want to, I want to go to this. It was like a very low cost of entry, like $25, bring a rack, your own clothes. Wow. It was that cheap. Is real cheap. <laughs> it was real cheap. Um, so I went and I loved it. I had so much fun. I got to meet people and I got to meet other people that sold on Poshmark um, and on other platforms that just like to sell their clothes. So I explored that avenue and I found some more markets, just like vendor markets, artisan markets. And there was a few, they just wanted like different types of vendors from each different category. So I was like the the pre-owned clothing category. So I went to a few of them. Some of them were hit or miss, but my objective was you know when I first started reselling I had my own Facebook group where I was selling to local um, customers and then when I went on Poshmark I kind of like abandoned that and I missed it so I wanted to kind of create a more local customer base meet other vendors Um, and I had a blast I actually had a lot of fun doing it Um, I think I went to a total of like five or six markets. I invested in a good tent, a mirror, some good like heavy duty racks, a wagon. You need a wagon if you're going to do markets. Um, And yeah, I had a, I had a great time. I met um, a lot of good people, like other vendors, local customers, consignment clients now that I've met um, and got to direct people to like my own personal website. So that was, I, I, I liked it and I'm looking forward to doing it again next summer. I only do the summer just because in the fall time, since they're all outdoors, it it's can cold. get the, it's cold, the Rainy. weather, it can get money, muddy. Yeah. Not with clothing. Yeah. So yeah. And then I drew a line in the sand. I'm like, okay, I'm done for the year. I can put all this stuff away and yeah. focus on online again. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Lauren? Um, I also in the last year started doing some markets and the funny thing is I was doing them with my sister who's so I'm in my 30s and my sister's 22 so we have very different different. styles (laughs) and so we started doing vintage markets and like to me vintage is like the little Audrey Hepburn like 60s little black dresses and you know vintage designer clothes and for her she's like look at this vintage mud jean skirt I'm like Lucy I wore that in high school (laughs) now mud mud is vintage um LEI like all of that stuff I'm like you're selling it for more than it cost retail 20 years ago but okay whatever you want to do it was selling it's funny because so we would set up our racks and our stuff would be like mixed in together and we'd have you know older women coming in 
you know, reminiscing over like the styles that I had chosen. And then the younger girls are all like, this is so cool. I'm like <laughs> rolling my eyes at her, but you know, there's something for everyone. And we had a lot of fun doing the markets and we even did a pop-up at my house where we set up racks, like all around, you know, like my, I live in a, like a hundred year old big house. Um, so there's like all these little rooms. I have like the huge, like formal dining room where we had racks set up and we had wine and appetizers and desserts and um, invited our friends and family to come shop. And we've also, we're kind of like trying to get into doing that more, almost like a Tupperware party where, you know, you can host it at your house and then we'll give you a credit for your clothes. I uh, haven't really had anyone, you know, step up to do that yet, but it's something I'm looking at doing in the next year. That's fun. I've always loved the idea of like setting it up outside or in your home or something and then having people come by and because it's like, here's my store. Look around, yeah. you know, <laughs> or inviting people like if they have an event to go to. Right. And they're looking for a piece like, well, come chop my racks. You know, I think there's something so fun about that and, and exciting and you get to meet people and help them create a wardrobe that they want or an outfit that they want. And um, I mean, we have the goods to do it, you know, mm -hmm. so I think it's just finding um, other creative ways. And sometimes it's an outdoor, outdoor markets, man here, $25. That's amazing, Nicole, because I can tell you it's yes. 300 plus to have what? a small wow. spot. <laughs> yes. Every market just like I've an done. Anomaly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone that I've done spent about 40 for an entrance. Oh, so cheap too. that's the average. Wow. And that's, that's a good price too, because all the other yeah. ones, this one fashion market, um, just fantastic. If you did want a spot, like a 10 by 10 spot, yeah, it was a hundred dollars. And every other market that I went to was in between 65 and 125 for a spot for the day. Um, so yeah, that $25, that was a great, that was a great, like, first experience and I was like I love this yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll pay $25 all day for this oh yeah yeah <laughs> oh that's so interesting yeah it's on my list of things I'd love to do too um mm -hmm. again I think like you Tiffany it's just time like when would I when would I do it um I don't know it would be I would have to like really like methodically plan it and like specify and you know it would be hard it'd be hard because then it's driving to the place. It's buying the supplies to then mm -hmm. have the tent set up and the racks and organizing it and creating a QR system for each. Like my, that's how my brain works. I can't just go and put things up and then hopefully keep track of it all. Like I'm going to need a scan system. <laughs> like that's just how yep. I, <laughs> yeah. um, you're going to have so less it, time to do that too. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> bad, bad enough to do it with my inventory. They want me to do it with my goods too. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I, but I, I think it is fun that so many people are starting to go into it. I do notice a lot of younger people really venturing into, into that space. So we'll see. I mean, I feel like reselling has, is evolving so much in just the mm -hmm. last couple of years. And it's, and I think this is where a lot of us who have been around reselling for a while kind of get lost. Cause it's like, well, where do I fit <laughs> in all of this? I don't know. Yeah. The, the traditional selling is never going to go away. And we, you know, people ask us that all the time. It's like, no, I don't think it's ever going to disappear. It's never going to happen. I just think that depending on what your goals are and how much time you want to dedicate to it, you're just going to have to figure out what direction do I want to go in? Do I want to start trying these things in person? Do I want to go into lives a little bit? 
or do I just want to keep things as is and then see how it goes? I mean, there's also the whole concept of supplying consignment stores with inventory, right? Like making a partnership with local stores and giving them pieces of your inventory and seeing if that works out. I've done that a couple of times. Um, I haven't found it to be the best, but I also haven't tried it to the point, like I haven't tried every consignment store that I probably should. Like I've tried a couple here and there, um, but I have met one woman who is local to me and she focuses strictly on designer goods and she does a lot of shoes and handbags. Um, she has some clothes, but really that's her main focus. So she's one that I would feel comfortable going in and giving her like some of my fines that I've paid up for um, because she's a reseller herself. She has her own online shop on top of it. So like it, that's a route I might go down, but not next year. <laughs> I honestly don't know what next year is going to look like for me. So I can't, I can't commit <laughs> yeah. to anything, but surviving next year. So yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that looks. Um, well, I want to open up the floor to you guys before we get going. Do you guys have anything you want to talk about or any questions? Anything you want to ask me? I mean, you have one-on-one access with me right now, so. Oof. I know. <laughs> I know. Just be gentle. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm one, I know we've talk, talked about like burnout with like live selling and stuff. And I'm just wondering like, is anyone feeling if we want to talk about like just burnout in general, like from your say like corporate life and trying to balance reselling and all of that? Like for me, I I'm super passionate about reselling right now. I feel like it's that calling that I've been looking for for years. And I'm at a point where I'm just like, I have like this corporate burnout of like my nine to five. <laughs> and I don't know if, if that's a very common thing with other resellers and because I'm new like I'm new to this and this is something I love I dove so deep into it and I've learned so much in the past year but balancing all of that with yeah my corporate job or my nine to five with my kids and everything like burnout is real and it can happen (laughs) like Mm -hmm. and I feel like it's a common discussion that that's had I think I've heard it before on this podcast as well but I swear if anyone's ever experienced that themselves either you or Lauren or Tiffany I'll I'll have have Tiffany and Lauren respond first and then I'll go I mean obviously I did I mean I worked you know in a corporate environment for most of my career and I kind of burned out early before ever experiencing reseller um, but wanted to do something different and wanted to have that Mm work-life balance so hence the reason kind of I'm you know have this new I have this agency but then I also have the time to do Poshmark and Poshmark is just kind of my happy place it's just a little it's a distraction Mm -hmm. from my you know corporate world and allows me to just have a little bit of fun but I could see it being a tough one if you're trying to balance both um, and make it, you know, your career. Um, I'm seeing it in all the, you know, a lot of the, the resellers that have been doing this for a long time that we probably follow on YouTube or, or podcasts. I'm seeing them burning out, you know, as well. So it's it's really trying to kind of balance it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, um, I have found that timing myself and keeping track of my reselling hours has really helped me control the burnout and like the almost like over obsessing over reselling I know we all like if I grab my phone and I 
you know, start liking things and sharing things and dropping prices. And I mean, that counts as work time. And I'm tracking that now to make sure that, you know, if I'm spending more than 40 hours a week on this, then that's out of control because I'm not making enough money to be working 40 hours a week on it. Um, I've also, I don't know if this is something that you guys have noticed too. I'm trying to really quiet all of the negative noise in the reselling community. Like I'm unfollowing people. I'm not going to name any names, but I've, you know, stopped following some YouTubers because sometimes all that negativity, like you might not feel it. And then all of a sudden it's like attached to you. Like you can't help it. You watch one person say something negative and then you carry that with you for the rest of the week. And then you might not even be having, you know, a negative experience, you know, like the uh, sourcing thing, everyone's complaining about sourcing and sourcing, sourcing. I'm like, that's fine. But then I go into the store and I'm like, oh, here we go. And then, you know, I don't even have a problem sourcing, but I'm going into it with a negative attitude. And it's, it's silly. So I just think that we have to like be really mindful of the content that we're taking in and the time that we're spending. Yeah. Um, so working full time and then like diving into reselling, I'll touch on that. Yes. It's a real thing. (laughs) Uh, you start to focus all of your time on reselling and it becomes almost like a, no, I could absolutely do this. Like I don't need this nine to five at all. I don't need it. No, I I need to focus my energy on this. Puts you in a real bad place. Um, because you feel like you can never catch up with one or the other. You're like constantly trying to do one, but you can't do it hundred percent because your brain's constantly going to that other place. But I have to focus on this thing that's over here. It happens to everyone. So don't feel like it's only happening to you. So anyone who, who wants to like fully dive into reselling, but they also have this nine to five that they need to focus on deals with it at some point in their journey. It's, you creating that boundary, whatever that boundary is to you. And for every person, it's different. Um, It could be setting timers on your phone. It could be not allowing the app to open for from nine to whatever, like nine to 12, right? So you can only open it on your lunch break. Um, It could be simply shutting off every notification that exists so that you can Mm -hmm. focus on your job. Um, If you want to go into reselling full-time, that is your goal. You still have to create that boundary because you need to create the money to sustain you if your business does not do well for a year or two. There's like so many little things like, and listen, if you have the luxury to just leave your nine to five and you can go right into reasoning, that's great. I I could never do that. Like that's Mm -hmm. not, I am not fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, But I think it's always good to go in with a plan. So if your plan is to go into full-time reselling. Use your nine to five to create the money that you need to create to save and then create a schedule for yourself for reselling so that you A, have time to be a mom, B, have time to you know be a partner, spouse, whatever that is to your significant other, if there's a significant other in your life. C, have time for yourself that does not involve reselling. Mm-hmm. It's so easy for us to use thrifting as our like self-care therapy it's not (laughs) it's work (laughs) we can pretend that it's our therapy it's not because it will get to a point where it becomes work and then it's not fun anymore so Mm -hmm. being new yes you will you will feel that way for probably the first three to four years and then all of a sudden that fourth year hits and you're like yep this is work now this is not what I thought it was going to be (laughs) 
I don't know if I want to do this every day. And nine to five is looking real good right now. And we've seen resellers do this in the reselling space over the last year or two that they've gone back into the workforce because yeah. it's too much. I can't do it. I need to have yeah. that structure of a nine to five. You can create structure in your reselling business, but it's never going to be the same way as you is the structure that you have in your nine to five because the reselling business is yours. You own it. You are the sole person making those rules. You don't have employees. So you're yeah. it for all the yeah. things. Now, if you had employees, you could obviously manage it differently, right? But you're talking now the next level of reselling where you've got a storage unit or a warehouse and you've got three or four people working under you and you can kind of be more hands-off. But that's another level. That's mm -hmm. not where you are right now. <laughs> and there's, no. nothing wrong with no. that. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. I think what you're feeling is what a lot of us feel when you start to see the positive effects of yeah. flipping the things all the time and you're getting that cash yeah. flow and it's fun. Reselling is not always fun. Just mm -hmm. like any other thing that we pick up, any other hobby, whatever it is, there are aspects of it that, man, it hooks you and that's why you get into it is because you get hooked. Um, yeah. But there's a whole other side mm -hmm. of it too. So I think it's a, I really think creating a schedule and creating boundaries is the number one thing that you just have to focus on. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, and you have that separation because you have to create a separation, then you can kind of start to look at, all right, well, every week I'm spending about 25 hours on reselling, just throwing out a number. Um, if I needed to, what am I getting done that 25 hours each week and breaking it down that way and like really starting to create a business plan. If you get to the point where you're like, this makes more sense than me working my nine to five, well, then you know what direction you need to go in. But I think it, mm -hmm. it all comes down to really looking at the the big picture of it all. And still, mm -hmm. listen, you still love thrifting. You still love the hunt. You still love all the things of reselling. Go with it. <laughs> because when you start to put that added pressure on you, and I know from experience, it changes things. I love reselling again because I took the step back that I did. Mm -hmm. So there, do I miss the money that I made before? Yeah. Yeah, I missed that money. It was great. But I also yeah. was buying a house at the time, was paying off my yeah. car. Like there were things that I was doing that I needed to make that money so that I could get to A to B, right? Um, it's a little different right now. I'm like just, mm -hmm. just living and doing what I have to do. And when I need to hustle again, I'll hustle. That's what I do. I, I, love, I love to do it. But um, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Structure is so important. So, so, so important in creating those boundaries. I used boundaries. to, I, I do struggle with that. Um, actually, like just two months ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And for me to like dive deep into yeah. things and spend so much time, I was like, this makes so much sense why I do this. So yeah, setting up that structure and those boundaries for me is especially important. And I know 2024, I can't believe we're going into 2024. I know. <laughs> um, that is like going to be my my main goal at least and trying to create that structure and those boundaries and be there for my kids because my son made a comment and he's like mommy are you working right now and this is like a Saturday afternoon and I'm like no I'm just on my phone so <laughs> don't be on your phone set those set those boundaries and that structure spend the time with your family your kids okay yeah Speaking from somebody with older kids, it goes really fast. So yes, yeah, it, take it in. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. 
That's a good question, though. And I think it's one that people get embarrassed to even talk about or ask because it's like, well, is there a right or wrong answer here? I just think it depends on your situation. Yeah, it's reality. Mm, that it is. Yeah. Anyone else have any questions for me? Or questions in general? I have a question. Sure. Um, how do you feel about promoted listings ah, right now? Yeah. Um, okay. I do promoted listings on Poshmark. I look at it as a marketing fee, just as if I had a website and I am paying Google for Google ads or Facebook for a Facebook ad. Um, now, it has flaws, right? I can't target certain audiences. I don't know how they're targeting things. It's very well maintained within that little Poshmark, you know, back room somewhere. So is it ideal the way that it's set up? No, it, it's not. Um, mm -hmm. But do I notice a difference by having promoted listing? Yes. Um, I think the way that it has to be looked at is, yes, you don't know what's being promoted. Yes, it may only say that you have made two sales from promoted listings because X person bought this item that was promoted. What we don't know is how many of those items that were promoted that people clicked on, but then clicked on something else in our closet because that interested them more and they purchased this other item instead. Well, that's not going to show up because that's not how Poshmark has this set up. I have noticed an increase of sales coming in from buyers who are not um, always on Poshmark. So there are people that just kind of come in, shop for what they need, and they leave for like three or six months and then maybe come back and buy what they want and leave, or they're Google buyers. Like I'm seeing a lot of that happening. Um, my sales went up since I started doing promoted um, closet, promoted listing. So I've continued to do it. I spend $50 every week. I don't always hit 50. I think there's other thing you have to keep in mind is it all depends on the click rate. So some weeks you may hit whatever your top tier is, and some weeks you might even not come close to it. It just depends. Um, so I, it's just an expense to me that I have now put into my business, which plays into my cost of goods. It plays into what my sales need to be. Um, if I had a, my own website and that's all that I had, I would have to pay Google way more mm -hmm. to even be seen out there and to have people come to my website because I'd be paying for Instagram ads. I'd be paying for Facebook ads. I'd be paying for a lot of different things to get people to me. So is it ideal the way it's set up? No, I do think it's going to evolve. I think that you have to give them time to do it, but I also think it has to make sense for your business. So if you are finding that you don't have the items that warrant that price tag of whatever it is they're putting you at, then maybe you don't do it. Maybe you try it for three months. And if you don't see a result from it, then maybe you stop. Or maybe you just keep going and you just consider another expense to add to your business. It all depends on the way that you want to frame it. I know some people have not had success with it, but I also think a lot of it is dependent on the type of closet that you have, the type of items that you're selling. What does your buyer pool look like? I think all of that plays into it. I think some items are going to sell regardless of promoted. That's just the way that it is. And you, we don't have that data. So we can't say that if I didn't do promoted, it would be fine because we've seen, I've seen, and other people I've seen in the community that when they have stopped promoted, that their closet has gone back to not being seen by anyone. So I don't know. I, I don't think there's a right or wrong in this 
I think it's all on what you want to spend and if you want to spend it and what your closet looks like. And you really have to look at your own, your own data. So for me, once I started promoted, I significantly increased in the beginning and now it's leveled off, but it's still an increase and I'm still making what I need to make. However, there's an added cost every week, right? So I'm still good where I'm at, um, but we'll, I will assess it again in the beginning of the year, in the first quarter. So I just kind of let it ride out from June until now, and then we'll see in the new year. And if they make changes, which is very possible that they're going to make changes, they understand that, because I've met with them a few times, and they understand that um, it, what they have now doesn't work. It's fine, but like it doesn't work to what we want because eBay system is what people are used to and people don't understand pay-per-click. Like unless you have worked in that realm of pay-per-click or you understand it or you've done it for your own business or whatever, like it's not a concept that resellers like. And I understand it. It's expensive. It's a totally different way of advertising. Um, but yeah, so I do it and I like it, but I think it all depends on your business. Has anyone else? It's the that? $50. I just have a question on that. Is your fifty dollars? Is that the recommended that Poshmark states? That's or is that what's arbitrary being recommended for you? to me. Okay. So it's based off of your closet size. So um, I think it's like between five hundred and eight hundred. They recommend fifty is about what they're recommending. Okay. But if you have a thousand items, well, now you've just bumped yourself up to probably a hundred and fifty. Like it's total. You know, it all depends on how many items you have. Um, there's some people that are in a Patreon group that only pay twenty, thirty dollars because that's what's recommended. Their closets are small. Um, the smaller I guess the only downside is the smaller your closet is, even though you're promoting at $30, in theory, your item is still not being seen as much as someone who has a 500 or a thousand item store because there's more items to promote. They're paying a little bit more. So I don't know. You know, do, do I think it's worth it if you have a small closet? Hard to say. What does your closet look like? What kind of items are you selling? Like, what are your what did your sales look like over the last three months? Like there's a lot of logistical things you have to look at for that. Um, but if the option is, and it, it, there's a free trial. So sign up for the free trial and then see how it goes from there. Yeah. I've been playing with it, but I haven't actually, mm -hmm. I haven't recommended it 50 as well, but I haven't okay. actually done the 50. I've done 30, 20. I've just been trying to see. Try the um, 50. It, it, it's been helpful. Yeah. But I think I might do the 50. <laughs> Try the 50. Um, I find that in the beginning of the week when the, when it restarts itself. So for me, I think it's like on Tuesday or whatever, it restarts itself. I don't start to notice the benefits of it until the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like that's when I'm noticing the benefits of it. And then it's like slow again, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then again, it starts to pick up. So that's the trend that I've been seeing, which I can see, you know, they're probably slowly pushing out, you know, every so many days and they maybe do an influx to get your stuff out there. It's all marketing it's all on their end they know what their buyers look like they look they will never share that with us we have no idea it's based off of what they're seeing in the back so anyone have any other questions on that i've wanted to try it it's not available it's not available right now no it's not available in canada um on my u.s closet i keep getting the banner at the top and i could do the trial i signed up for it it's um my only problem is i need a u.s credit card which I don't have. So right. I can't use like my, my wise bank account or anything. So I tried it and tried to sign up. And then I haven't really tried to figure that out since but I'm very curious to, to try it and, and see how it works. 
Yeah. Uh, and I'm hoping that they open it up to Canada soon. I don't know if I'd probably try it in, in the Canadian market just to try it and see mm -hmm. and see what it's like. But I think it would have a bigger effect maybe on my U.S. closet than my Canadian yeah. closet. Yeah. So I tried it. Um, and my when I did the trial, I did great. My sales like skyrocketed. And then once I started to pay, I think mine was 30 or 40. Um, I did it for like a month and my sales were lower than they had ever been. And I don't know if that's because I have been cross-listing to my own site. And so I'm constantly like deleting stuff when, and probably my more like desirable items once they sell on my site. Um, but I just a few weeks ago, I just turned it off. So I wondered if, if it's in my best inter interest to turn it back on, you know, like once the new year starts, um, now you're kind of making me think, Daniela, that maybe I should turn it back on. Um, just at this moment, I was like, this is not worth it, you know, for once a week for them to take 30 bucks from me because, you know, it's also Christmas time and every 30 bucks every week adds up. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Yeah. Um, I think, I think you have to leave it on for a long period of time to really see the benefits of it, no matter what price point you're at, because the AI is constantly learning what you do and what your what your potential buyers do. So it needs to learn the behavior and then it can function the way that it needs to function. It AI takes time. I mean it's yeah, it's smart, but like it still takes time to learn behavior. It doesn't happen overnight. So I think that's the way that they look at it from what I understand when I've talked to them is that, you know, the AI is learning behaviors. It's learning the different buyer pools that you fall into. It learns what your behaviors are on the platform itself. So what are you doing? Are you adding new things? Are you dropping prices? Like what are all the things that you're doing? And then it kind of contributes all that and knows where to push you out to. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that they do the free trial. It's great, obviously, because it's boosting you, right? Mm -hmm. And then they stop or they pay and they start to see a drop. I think that's because it's trying to figure out where you fit now because you're in a beta group when you go in mm -hmm. and then you get pulled out of the beta group and you're just out to everyone else. So mm -hmm. it has to learn where do you fit now with all of the buyers, all the sellers, where do you fit? So I think you have to, if you're willing to do it, you just have to look at it as a business expense that you have to incorporate in and um, make sure that it makes sense with what you're selling and what your cost of goods are. Like that's, that's important. Um, Cause I think for some people it's not worth it and it's there, it's cutting into their profits big time. So you have to, you have to analyze what that looks like for you. So maybe do it in three month chunks every quarter, you kind of take a look and then make your decision from there. But don't do it because everyone's doing it. And I can tell you not everyone <laughs> is doing it because it's a big expense, but uh, don't, you know, just because I'm seeing success doesn't mean that you will. So you have to really test it and, and look at the data. You know, that's the only thing. And they don't give us anything. So I like, I can't. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they gave us more. But maybe in the new year, we'll be able to get more information from them. But as of right now, it's just what we see in our own numbers, in our own trends. So, yeah, and that's super important to track, tracking your own mm -hmm. data, because especially if you only sell on Poshmark, like Poshmark, there is like, no data <laughs> like yeah. there's some with the closet insights there's some but I don't even I don't look at it 
because I I track my own data with my own spreadsheets and whatnot. But it's like my one pet peeve. I'm like, just please give us more data. Like even just how many views is this listing got? You know what yes, I mean? Like that how would many, be helpful. Like, just views. How many people clicked on my listing? Data like I find it's just basic data that I think is available. Like I think of Vinted, for example. I thought Vinted was only in Canada, but it's not. But even Vinted, a very simple platform, has um, data on there, like how many people have viewed a listing. So I, I really wish Poshmark would have more more data, but that's why it's just really important to track your own data and make decisions based on that, your own data. Agreed. Agreed. We love data. Data is the best. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we all need it. Yep. Great, guys. So there's no more questions. No? No more? No one wants to ask me anything else? Yeah. It's okay. That's right. You don't have that. <laughs> this was a lot of fun getting to know you guys. I love getting to know listeners and just hearing their stories and, you know, what reselling looks like for them because it's so different for all of us. And I know the listeners who are not on here uh, also like to hear the stories about other people who are out there selling and their experiences and I'm sure nodding their heads with certain things that people have said, you know, throughout the episode. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. I hope it was fun for you guys to sit and chat. Sorry, I kept you longer than anticipated, but that always ends up happening. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been so excited. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. Good. Every, every Monday, my drive to work, I listen. Yeah. So, yeah <laughs> this is, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you for the Thank podcast. You. It's it's been so yes. helpful, obviously, in our own journeys in terms of learning. And you know, so I hope that in 2024 you're gonna continue. We we are gonna continue in 2024. Um I, I don't know. I I can tell you for sure from January to the beginning of March, it will be status quo. <laughs> Once March hits, I don't know what it's gonna look like. It might be like an episode every other week. I don't know. Um I'm still planning that out. <laughs> but as of as of right now everything will be will be status quo on the podcast and uh we actually already have the episode that's going to go out at the beginning of the year ready for everyone it's it's going to be it's going to be a company that we talked about in i don't even remember what episode it was but we talked about a, a, an extension app that's now available um for searching goods so uh, they're oh, going to be yes. the first ones to come on. Yeah. So I'm I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Episode. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So they reached out to us and they want to be on the podcast. So they're going to be on, they're awesome. going to be the first episode of the year. So I'm very excited about that. And then, yeah, uh, I, I'm sure there'll be more deep dives and more history lessons and all of the things in there. So definitely, hopefully you guys come back for 2024 season five, which is just wild. Um, so thank you everyone for another great year. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us and spreading the word to everyone. There's so many new people that have found the podcast this year. And, um, I mean, we are in countries that I didn't even think that we would ever be in that people are listening to. So thank you. That's because of all you guys. Um, if you guys haven't done so already, it's very important if to go on Apple or Spotify, any of those platforms listen to and make sure you leave a review, good, bad, indifferent, it doesn't matter. But leaving that on there, hopefully good, <laughs> um, <laughs> is very important. It gets the word out there to more people that want to hear this type of content to find us because 
social media is tough to be found on nowadays. So um, again, thank you so much. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. All of those things. And we'll see you in 2024. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.